Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey guys, welcome back to The Female Gaze. I'm Jesse Katz. I'm Alana Rodriguez. I just faked the excitement in my voice because I have to say at the top of this episode that it's been a very hard week for me. Why? I lost the love of my life yesterday. Mm. Coy Luther Perry III, otherwise known as Luke Perry. Uh, there was one person my entire childhood and adolescence who I had 20 posters of on my bedroom wall at any given time, and that was Luke Perry. Uh, so this was very rough. I was very much in love with him my whole childhood, then realized when I got a little bit older that I think I really just wanted to be him, but whatever was going on there, he was very important to me, and so I'm very sad. I'll be going to Nighthawk Cinema in Brooklyn this weekend to watch Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the movie that he co-starred in with Christy Swanson. If you guys haven't seen it, highly recommend. And that's all that I can say about him, but just needed to shout that out at the top of the episode. I'm <laughs> smiling through the tears. The pain. Mm. You're in yeah. a mourning period. I am. Good thing we have a good show, though, today. We do. And I will say, before we introduce our guests, uh, on a lighter note, today is also the 20th anniversary of the release of Cruel Intentions. Uh, just saw that in my timeline. <laughs> so, uh, Alana, before we kick it to our guests and introduce them, just wondering if you have fond memories of that film or what emotions that Elicits. Lesbianism? Is your memory of Is that, that my movie? Memory? My memory, my two fondest memories are obviously the kiss uh-huh. and the cocaine in the necklace that I hope to have on my wedding day <laughs> someday. <laughs> Those are my two fondest memories. I obviously am a huge fan of Cruel Intentions. Obviously mm-hmm. really enjoyed the dikiness of the film. Can you be a little more, can you describe the kiss for those who might not remember? Can you describe the kiss for those who might not remember? <laughs> it was Sarah Michelle Gellar and Selma Blair. Selma. Selma Blair. Uh, filmmakers Erica Rose and Chelsea Moore, thank you for joining the female gaze. Yeah, I would have to say uh, my favorite moment, I know you didn't ask this, but my favorite <laughs> moment of Cruel Intentions because it just popped in my head was when Sarah Michelle Gellar rubs her ass on Ryan Philippe. Uh, gave me a lot of ideas and inspiration for oh. the rest of my life. So I like that. Uh, that was Amazing. a really important scene and out of the me. box. Yeah. That's one of your top moves. Yeah. Um, or just, you know, top fantasies. Yeah. Just being Ryan Phillippe's penis. I would love to be, you know. <laughs> yeah. On a chaise lounge. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yes. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. They're just talking about money and sexual attraction and they're step siblings too yeah yes yeah, they it's are so kinky it's great anyway <laughs> okay erica and chelsea <laughs> we invited you on the show because you run a production company that is very much aligned with things that we are very interested in so i wanted to talk to you about your work and about the gaze that you guys are utilizing in your work uh, your company is called sour peach films you have a new short film that is floating around the circuits that we got to preview and was amazing so uh very excited to have you 
you on the show and to dig into all of that. This podcast was inspired by largely the speech that Jill Soloway gave at the Toronto Film Festival several years ago. Uh, And one of the things that she said was the female gaze is the other gaze. It's like a bunch of uh, gazes that are basically anything but the cis male straight gaze. Um, So I think you check off some of those boxes and you try to, you know, you're kind of covering a femme queer gaze, but also I think you're seeking to tell in general stories that are a bit otherwise marginalized, overlooked. So, okay, we'll get into all of that in just a moment. But first... My favorite. Let's do a round of Float Your Boat. Toot toot. And be in your bonnet. Buzz buzz bitch. Oh, you came in hot on that that one. one? I feel like you liked that one a little bit. I did, I did. All right, Alana. Yeah. Will you kick us off with your boat of the week? Uh, I actually have two boats this week. I rarely have more than one. They're Mm. both, um, they both happen to be things that I watched recently. So I'll make it super quick. The first one is I just, I was also at Nighthawk or I went to Nighthawk on Sunday um, and I saw Greta. Not sure if you guys have seen Greta yet. I saw it. Yeah, yeah, it was a great film. I really liked it because afterwards I found myself thinking like, obviously it was a really good movie in my opinion, but that I don't remember, I only remembered one male cast member that everyone that was super uh, striking that had like a really important role. They were all women. So I was actually curious to know like what the percentage was. You know when we did that percentage game last episode? <clears throat> um, female characters speaking yeah, on screen then, versus male. Yeah. Exactly. So Stephen Ray was in it briefly as the investigator. Yeah, who I think Because Neil seconds. Jordan is the director who did the crying game. So that yeah. was like a cute little throwback. Yeah. And then um, Chloe Grace Moretz's father is in it a little bit. Yeah. Did you think it was a good movie? Like just straight up a good movie? Or do you think it was a good B movie? Um, I think it was a good B movie. Okay. And That's I, an important qualification. I think I liked it a lot more because I appreciated the fact that, and this is a spoiler alert, so... Spoiler alert! Oh. Spoiler alert! Well, I don't know if... But... Okay. Okay, <laughs> so you would expect for the investigator to figure out what was happening... Right, but there's a plot twist at the end where it wasn't the the guy who you would expect to solve the case. Uh-huh. It was a, a, a female. Okay, um, so I just liked that you know there was a woman that saved the day. Yes, but it was like the so. biggest. Wait, am I allowed yeah. to talk? Here? I didn't Please. know. Okay. I, didn't know I, should, I didn't know if I should ruin it. So, so I was trying to be very. It's PG. fine. I ruin movies for her. Okay, all so yeah, 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 um, yeah. yeah. I think I, it was like the biggest plot hole. For me, though, yes. that they were like, let's hire a private investigator to find our missing daughter instead of because let's be honest, if a pretty white girl in Manhattan went missing, the entire like state would be after her. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So mm-hmm. if the dad was like, you know, what, just like I'll pay anything I can for a private investigator. Yeah. It's like that to me <laughs> was like you could have had everything else. Yeah. Um, but and like still had like an police investigation but I don't know if it's fair to call out plot holes in a movie like that well so I was really excited to see it because it reminded me of the B movie single white female genre of female obsession that I've been obsessed with obsessed with a female obsession um, since I was a kid (laughs) you know and it was like kind of speaking of like early femme eroticism that's all we had Mm -hmm. you know like cruel intentions like doesn't really qualify but like in terms of single white female or heavenly creatures like we had there was like an intense connection and eroticism between this like kind of really into uh uh 
crazy female friendship. Maybe mm-hmm. crazy is not the right word to use, but like Obsessive. this heightened yeah. female friendship. Well, in these cases, I think crazy. Yeah. Is, if mean, we're ever going to use that crazy, word. Crazy, yeah. yeah. But so I was really excited to see Greta because it was like, you know, kind of influenced by that. But I think I was really disappointed with just the execution. I think they could have gone further. Like if they were, I really wanted them to like totally embrace the B movie aspect. Yeah. And instead it was just, I wasn't sure what point it was trying to make. Yeah. I see what you're saying. Uh, well, okay. First of all, sorry for those who don't know what the fuck we're talking about. <laughs> Get so, it that. It's a movie that just came out. Um, Chloe Grace Moretz is a young woman living and working in New York City, and she finds a purse on the subway one day, and there's an ID inside it. So she goes to return it to its owner, who is a woman played by Isabel Huppert, and they become friends very quickly because. Um, the woman has an estranged daughter and is very lonely, and the young woman just lost her mother the year before and is clearly longing for a maternal relationship. And then this relationship quickly it takes a turn into obsession and stalking and yeah, and worse. Yeah. Um, so, Eric, I'm interested to know what you think about something that I pulled out from an article Richard Brody just wrote about the movie yesterday Mm -hmm. because I generally really respect him, but he said this about the movie that actually bugs me. Sorry, by the way, I totally did my homework on your boat, but... I didn't even know you knew that was my boat, so I'm actually really happy. Yeah, okay, I figured. Um, Okay, so he faulted the movie for having, quote, no psychosexual resonance a la Alfred Hitchcock Mm. or Chantal Ackerman, no textured sensuality a la Claire Denis or Paul Thomas Anderson. Mm. As if it had to have I was literally just going to say, did it need sexual chemistry between them was that necessary i don't think it you know i know what he was criticizing i think that there was just no nuance yeah to their relationship and i 100 percent agree with you it doesn't have to be sexual and i think what he is he's it's a he's misattributing it because instead he's making it you know it has to be this like sexual narrative Mm -hmm. whereas it could have just been you know, it's like they are starting the movie at extremes. Isabel Huppert doesn't have her daughter. Mm-hmm. And Chloe Grace, Mor- Chloe Grace Moretz is reeling after her mother's death. Mm-hmm. So that's a setup for something really explosive. And yet they get too caught up with the kind of logistical, yeah, like uh, kind of, scary they're trying to they didn't know what they were trying to be it was like she was trying to pop out scary rather than like mm-hmm. a psycho um kind of not erotic but like a you know it's just like a th- psychological thriller yeah right yeah yeah there were definitely moments where i expected isabel to go harder mm-hmm. and she but, didn't but i think maybe i'm giving the filmmaker more credit than he deserves for being in on the joke. I felt like when that happened, it was intentional. And when I laughed out loud in those moments, I was supposed to laugh out loud. But maybe I was laughing out loud because it was unintentionally absurd. Mm. I don't know. Well, I also think that Isabel Huppert is the best living actor, in my opinion. She crushed. Yeah. yeah, And it's like, if you guys have seen Elle, that is Mm -hmm. one of my favorite movies Mm -hmm. of the past like five years. Yeah. Yeah. So you're dealing with someone who understands nuance, who can just stare at you and be incredibly menacing and vulnerable at the same time. Mm. So I felt like he wasn't looking at the talent he had in front of him and then was trying to use like, you know, 
shot shot placement and music to kind of carry mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. emotional tonality of the film. Yeah. Whereas you had incredible talent and you didn't need to do that. Yeah. Right. So that's where it's like it lacked any nuance. And yeah. so I think Richard Brody is speaking to that, but he's kind of making it about, of course, sex, which it doesn't matter. Right. Right. Yeah, right, right. Exactly. Okay. Um, that movie was also my boat this week because I dug it. I had a couple of drinks while I watched it yeah, at same. the draft house, and <laughs> I think that also helped my enjoyment. And it was a good time. Yeah. Um. So I'm uh, with you on that. So we're sharing a boat this week. Okay. Cool. I have a second one. I'm going to make oh. it so quick. We yeah. don't need to talk because this this one we did talk about. But if you guys haven't seen Pen Fifteen on Hulu, oh yeah. Oh, I haven't. I haven't have seen it. To. Oh my god, you're going to love it, Jesse, because it's so it's two comedians. It's very um you know, similar to like Alana and Abby. It's like the two power women that are comedians. But really um, what the show is about is them in the seventh grade. So they're, so they're grown year olds. ups playing They're grown children. ups playing children. Yeah. yeah, but it's very believable that they're 13. But um, also not, which is an a, I think yes, a plus about exactly, the show. Because it yes. makes it an extra level of like absurdity and goofiness yeah, right. and, and awkwardness. It's, it's an awkwardness. Like you're supposed yes. to understand that that's a joke yeah right? for or sure the, yes for that sure there's like older a older playing a nice like little disclaimer at the end of the show which is like my favorite part when the credits are rolling it's like adult actors are used for <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like no child actors are used for any of the sexual content I thought that, it yeah. is i i think that is maybe my favorite part it's amazing <laughs> is everyone around them 13 yes oh, and that's yes. what's so perfect every the guys that they have crushes on like everything are actually all, that age are actually that age yes. that's great you have to watch it it's really funny so okay those are my boats thank you uh there's a whole episode i think it's episode three of uh, entitled aim i think is the title oh. and it's just <laughs> half an hour about aol instant messenger oh, and amazing. it's so good i was crying it's so good <laughs> Yeah, that's great. That was my life at thirteen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The whole soundtrack is like back in the nineties. All the posters, it's like Josh Hartnett. Like you'll, you'll. It's amazing. Their wardrobe, it's a lot of like cargo. It's so, it's really good. Okay, I'll watch it tonight. It's like children's plays. Delilah, (laughs) Claire's. Wow, were they talking about Luke Perry? No, sorry, (laughs) Josh. All right, what boats you guys got this week? My boat, uh, uh, I was thinking about on the way here, uh, I, I just fostered a puppy, or oh, I am fostering wow. a puppy, so that's my- Congrats, mom. Yeah. yeah. That's my uh, my float for this week. Okay. I uh, wish this is not an audio or a, a visual element here, yeah. but- um, Do you want to describe your dog? It's a 10-week-old Chihuahua Terrier oh. mix. Oh, um, He's like a little sandy brown with like little specks of black throughout. What's his name? They named him Rafiki. But we were, <laughs> which is fine. Hello. He's like a little, like a little teddy bear kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. And uh, he's like super curious and playful, uh, and just like we've already had peop- our friends booking appointments to come over and hang out with said puppy. And might you keep him or straight foster? We 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 put in an adoption application okay. this morning, wow. so Fingers we'll crossed. see how, we'll see how that works out. But uh, yeah, that's definitely. We were also watching. I watched um, uh, the kids are all right this past weekend because uh-huh. I was doing another podcast discussing that movie, and we came up with the idea that the puppy's name would be Mark Ruff. Hello. Oh my god! <laughs> and then we went on, and it became Bark Ruffalo. Wow! Done. <laughs> yeah, you have to it's now. like it's so genius and obvious. How come we haven't all done that? I know. It's like this is a name that everyone's dog should have. Yeah. Hello. And I told Chelsea that she's not allowed to get rid of Bark Ruffalo because he's now my therapy dog. Oh, there you <laughs> go. I have not met him. I'm emotionally like that. You're one. attached now. That's a great one. I love yeah. that. 
right, Erica, <laughs> what's your boat? I'm going to go for a darker subject material. Great. Yes, please. I just spent the past two nights watching Leaving Never- Neverland. <gasps> Me too! So I am, um, I don't think I've ever been that impacted watching something before. Me too. I think what was so disturbing about it was that it, it really speaks to what celebrity is and how potent and powerful and seductive and dangerous it is. And can you just tell people what yeah, this film so is? In case Leaving don't know. Neverland is a documentary, two part documentary series, I guess, mm-hmm. um, about it's really about two victims of Michael Jackson, um, two men, and they were uh, sexually molested by him when they were boys. And these were two people who defended him in the 90s mm-hmm. and have since come out and said that they were also victims. Um, this is on HBO? It's on HBO. Yeah. And I think it was at Sundance this year. And then yeah. HBO acquired it. But I think what's so traumatizing about it is listening to... it's. I was like thinking about it and I was like, they, they go into graphic detail about what happened. Oh, yeah. And I was thinking, I was like, why did they decide to include that? And I think it's because it had to demystify what actually happened. Because I think so Mm -hmm. much of the conversations around what Michael Jackson did to, and also I'm just for the listeners, trigger warnings, like, (laughs) you know, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But um, it's listening to, because we've been talking about it kind of theoretically, it's like always in this kind of mythology. It's like Michael Jackson would like sleep with little boys in beds, but mm-hmm. no one ever actually explained what he did. Mm-hmm. So the minute you hear these men talk about their sexual relationship yeah. and you think about these lewd sex acts that only consenting adults should do with each other, mm-hmm. and then you think about what a seven-year-old looks like yeah. and sounds like and the size of a seven-year-old and that a grown man's penis is inside of a seven-year-old's mouth. Yep. Like, it is traumatizing to just mm-hmm. even think about that. Yeah. So I supported that they uh, talked about it. I don't know how you guys felt no, about it. No, absolutely. It, yeah. Absolutely. I, many a time, my mouth, I found, was on the ground mm-hmm. just because I was in such shock that there was, that the details were so graphic. Mm-hmm. I think it's so important that they did speak up about this because not only does it give you this really important look on what you said celebrity but also just like child abuse in general how these Mm -hmm. children perceived their abuser you know it was never someone that was hurting them they felt that that was love that was their first sexual contact with anyone and then it was their it was Michael Jackson you know Wade Robson an incredibly famous Australian choreographer who a lot of his career is attributed to Michael and what you know he was fixated with Michael as a kid yeah and then all of a sudden this man is telling you he loves you and saying this is what love means right and you not being able to process or understand but going with it and then defending him like you said in the trials um so I think that it's so important for people to watch and understand Mm -hmm. that this shit happens period yeah and that it's confusing you know I think that the mothers play a really interesting role and there was a, a an article that Slate uh published where it was talking about how especially in the second part the filmmakers take like a very critical stance on the mothers and Mm. they are absolutely to blame like if you think about it what mother lets a seven-year-old 
child sleep in the bed of a man. Yeah. But I think we have to remember the conversation around molestation and sexual abuse back in the 80s and early 90s was almost non-existent. Mm-hmm. This was before the um, you know Boston priest scandal. This is before Me Too. This mm-hmm. is before it was really in our consciousness. And it's still the conversations around sexual abuse is not enough. Yeah. Um, so I think for these mothers, it was purely unfathomable that something like this would happen. Even with there is allegations, accusations, it was like, you know, they were enchanted and seduced by the Mike, the message that Michael was uh, projecting, yeah. which was childhood bliss, like literally Neverland. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, it's, it's really the mothers to me were like, it was the most painful thing because, you know, how they like missed it. They kept missing Multiple it. Multiple times. Yeah, for years. Yeah. You know, they would be in the other room right. while this was going on. So I have a pessimistic theory that this movie is not actually going to have a huge impact on how we look at his legacy because I think that we have always known that this shit probably happened and it always got settled out of court and whatever but like ever since I was old enough to know anything I've known that that was probably true about him and we didn't have any of these details but I feel like as a culture we already decided that it's fine we love his music so much that we are okay with it and I don't know if this will move the needle on that I'm very curious to see, though. Yeah, I'm curious to see, too. I mean, I I agree with you. Like, I just remember growing up with the idea and the knowledge that he did this. Yeah. I remember right. it being in, like, my vocabulary. Mm-hmm. But then but it, then Macaulay Culkin would come out and be like, no, I swear, happen. we were just friends. It was yeah. totally innocent. He was a child, too. And we're like, well, Macaulay Culkin said it was fine. So Right. And then they right. show footage of, from his funeral of, like, and I remember watching his funeral. And I remember, like, mm-hmm. and sometimes I still listen to his music. Yeah. And, you know, and then this was a reminder. It was like, I think that's why it had to be a graphic reminder. Agreed. Because Mm -hmm. it's like, wake up, people. Like, he's, you know, a rapist and a molester or wasn't, you know, rapist and molester. So, yeah. Good. Yeah. I mean, good boat. (laughs) Good boat. I was like, going to go with like a lighter subject, but I was like, it's been on my mind. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was was just watching the second part this morning. So, (laughs) nice way to start your day. Yeah, I know, right? Child molestation. All right, Lana, what's your B? What's my B? Um, oh, <laughs> The Fucking Bachelor is my B this week, <laughs> the show. I s- love The Bachelor. I still have never it. seen it. I love watching hot girls cry. So that's why I watch <laughs> The Bachelor specifically. Wow. And obviously The Bachelorette. So I think it's, you know, just at, at the end of a long day, you just want to sit down and watch some like trashy TV. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So The Bachelor does that for me on a Monday night. What's bothering me and what has bothered me and what reminded me that I was bothered when I was watching last night is the lack of diversity of women. It's all white girls. There's like three black girls, maybe an Asian here. Out of how many? Um, I don't know how many. I think he started with 30? Yeah. Oh. And then they eliminate a lot the first night. Yes. Okay. But um, (laughs) it's like half get eliminated the first night. But yeah, he starts out with uh, somewhere around 30. Exactly. And you can tell, like, I've never watched The Bachelor until this season and I'm watching because my uh, my partner and my roommate watch it and they love it and I think yeah. Uh, my roommate loves it be- 
because of the same reason. It's yeah. just like, oh, she's really pretty. Yeah. <laughs> and now she's sad. And now she's sad. <laughs> but she's still pretty. Yeah, exactly. Um, but uh yeah, you can see his specifically I mean, I don't have a back history catalog in my memory of like the habits of bachelors, yeah. but you can see like who like who the producer is saying you have to keep. Yes. And then who he is actually connecting with. And it's always like the no drama, no personal history, very simple, dumb, happy, yep. um, mm. white girl. White girl. Like yep. tiny little white girl he just wants who's not quite his mommy, not quite like too much, but like lets yeah. him get away with everything and is like, I love you. Yeah, exactly. I'm I'm falling for you. Yeah. And unfortunately, <laughs> and maybe this isn't true, but it appears to me as a watch of viewer that often the women of color who move and progress to later rounds are ones that I think the producers have asked them to keep around because yeah. sometimes it's very obvious when there's no physical connection but then he'll give her a rose and you literally in your head say well it's because she was Hispanic or it's because she was black and they need that mm. color yeah. um, so that we need to make it like not 100% obvious that he this, he's only into, <laughs> into white, white girls, girls. <laughs> yeah exactly like they- he has to take someone else non-white home to his parents exactly. or meet their parents exactly. and it's so obvious the difference when he goes and has those interactions oh my god insane has there ever been a black or person of color bachelor Rachel like, was the first uh, black bachelorette and that was like she's black and this is the bachelorette that was literally the whole dialogue around it and I was yeah. like how about she's another woman trying to find love mm. you know what I mean <laughs> right. how about we just You're go with so that earnest. one I I, you know it's but just like everyone was all has there been, ever been a black no. Male bachelor. Interesting. And there was mm-hmm. also, I remember hearing conversations because my roommate and my partner were watching it when Rachel was the bachelorette. There was such a conversation from viewers about who she was picking, the color of the person that yes. she was picking to go yes. on dates with. Yes. Way higher than what's happening with this Colton. like white dude. Yeah, yeah Col- Colton. <laughs> I got dude. you. Don't worry. Yeah. I'm sorry. Who looks That's like a, a thumb. Wait, oh. isn't that the name of, um, of um, help me, Josh Pfefferman's son in Transparent? Isn't his name oh Colton? yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. I just fig- yeah, figured out why the name so the familiar. Whole milk, yeah, yeah, yeah. White That's boy, right. cornbread. That, that is yeah. same. Yes. Year's so bachelor. you have to be yeah. like that if your name is Colton. A hundred percent. Okay, he loves Glad whole milk. Your parents. Yeah. Are that yeah they, to, right. to name you Colton <laughs> yeah. to name their exactly. child Colton? They're definitely that. Exactly. So yeah, bring diversity. Otherwise. I'm going to be mad again. Well, like real diversity. Real diversity. Right. Like not, I mean, and it is kind of like, okay, well, this is reality, so it's like not, but. I know. It's all performative diversity or performative reality. Exactly. Yeah. But it's like, mm. it still falls flat. Right. So just still disappointing. Exactly. Very disappointing. Good Womp. be. Thanks. Um, Your turn. Okay. My B this week is, uh, I'm, I'm just going to say something really general, and it's actually kind of just what you said, Chelsea, but. This could be a whole nother episode, but I've just had this idea floating around in my head lately. Every time I look at Instagram and I see people posting really generic women's content now, like like a meme of AOC or um, like these old timey pictures of women with some kind of little feminist thing under it. And then like everyone likes it and then moves on with their lives. And I'm starting to get a little stressed out by it because I'm starting to feel like we have... We, we're losing the meaning of everything that we've been mm. building over the last few years. And like, I worry that movements get, um, they get too mainstream and they stop being radical. And when you lose the radical element of it, then you're not actually going to affect change because things need to be, they need to have radical edges. 
because if you're just like being cute about it and mm. posting memes and making t-shirts and stuff, that's not actually going to affect any change. And like I always throw this phrase around when people ask me why sometimes I'm like very extreme in my opinions about things. And I'm like, because revolution is a lion, not a lamb. Like you have to be fucking ferocious about some things mm. in order for anything to happen. Mm -hmm. And so I get nervous. It, it reminds me of and like. Look, I think The Wing is a very positive place for a lot of reasons, and we had someone from The Wing on this show before, and I am still currently a member, but Alana and I went to an event at The Wing mm -hmm. where they had Eileen Miles and Jill Soloway and Hannah Gadsby and Masha Gessen. Mm. So you have like four of the premier queer feminist thinkers who are live on this planet right now in one room, and the conversation was oh God, yeah. so pointless, meandering, like... It, we came away with nothing. And it's like, how do you squander that opportunity? Meanwhile, the wing will organize like a Q&A with JLo where the line is like around the fucking block and they promote it every second of every day. And like that, that's very much their brand. And I feel like people join a place like the wing and follow them on social media and feel like they're doing their job and checking off the box. Right. Yeah. And that's, that's nothing. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's funny because I've been doing, I've been having a lot of meetings out of the wing just this year. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm not a member. I just, uh, exploit the resources for free. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's the yeah, only yeah, way yeah, I'll yeah. ever like be at the wing. <laughs> and it's funny because I remember I, I'm working with this director there and we were like setting up interviews for a potential crew member. And I was like, okay. And then like this guy will meet you at this time. She's like, oh, wait, wait, wait. There's a really arduous approval process to bring in a cis man. And like, let's avoid that. And I was thinking to myself, like, I understand spaces that mm. are exempt from men, like, my I really want to curate my life that way. Um, <laughs> like, I like totally get Absolutely. that. Same. Yeah, but I think it it just gets really dicey when it's just you use really general language because yeah. it doesn't yeah. allow for what the queer community has. Some of the queer community has already acknowledged that there's a lot of nuance and uh, it's complicated sometimes, yeah. you know, it's like, yeah, I don't know what their policy is for non-binary people or trans people. Mm -hmm. And I actually think they should go off the model of the, uh, sex party submit. I'm just going to go there. There's, I don't know if you guys have heard no, of it. Tell no, me. there's a sex party called submit and it's, um, like once a month it happens at the basement of this, uh, park slope associated supermarket. Cool. It's this whole dungeon down there. And it's a sex party uh, that excludes cis men, but otherwise everyone else is included. So you could be a trans man, a non-binary person, a huh. cis woman, a trans woman, and you just can't be a cis dude. And honestly, it's an honor system mm -hmm. too. Mm -hmm. yeah. So it's like if you come to the door, they're not going to be like, "What's your gender identity?" Yeah, you know. So oh yeah, God, that's they're not checking you. <laughs> that's yeah. my question with the wing: is like, yeah. how do you at the front right. desk? show that you are a cis man or not. Exactly. Because mm -hmm. your ID may not match your... Yeah. Exactly. It just gets... Actual identification. So it should just be like, hey, like cis men, you're not like invited and it should be an honor system. Yeah. yeah. I mean, also, I've brought a lot of queer women to the wing who automatically feel uncomfortable when they walk in there because yeah. the aesthetic is is the kind of place when you're growing up a woman in the world where you are you know that you're going to feel uncomfortable. You know that you're going to feel mm -hmm. different from a lot of the other women that are there. This like pastel pink kind of bullshit. And it's yeah. like how come they aren't aware of that? 
Yeah. It really makes me crazy. Yeah. So then yeah. it's like, so what are you aside from just a place where women, however you're you're defining that, can go hang out? That's not enough to me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's not like a, a vision for this world. Yeah. Right. It seems it, it falls very flat for me. And even yeah. going back to what you were saying with the panel that we went to with with Jill and Hannah, it was so disappointing. The moderator posed a question to the audience and she said, you know, ask any of these women anything for them to discuss right and you're like wow we're gonna get some incredible questions super thoughtful the first thing that comes out of someone's mouth is what is your opinion on dildos and literally (laughs) jesse and i looked at each other and we were like you're really so thank you this is really my point because the wing good intentions whatever like i'm still glad that they exist yeah Yeah, but but people are going to the wing and so you assume that because you're a member there or you are friends of members there that you are into something or part of something or you're invested in mm. some kind of movement movement or progress in this country. And then when you go to an event like that and you see that the people in the audience don't really get what's happening with mm. these amazing thinkers that are in the room, it's like, I don't know. Yeah. I think it's I think we're still missing the mark. Yeah. Anyway, that's my B. Yeah, I mean, it comes down to, like, the women's march. You know, it's like, okay, I showed up to the march, and, like, that's my, I'm now this. Exactly. This is my activism, and I don't think the women's march is radical activism. No. Right. No. I think it's exclusionary. It uh, excludes other able bodies. Yeah. Um, It's not accessible. Mm -hmm. Um, It's classist. Mm -hmm. It's, you know. Yeah. People go to take their photo for Instagram. Take your photo. um, Yeah, and yeah. it's very like white ladies taking over right. something yeah. that we have not been the forefront of, yeah. but we get to be on the poster for. Right. 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 I mean, look, not everyone is built to be a radical. I'm not even asking that. I just want the radicals to keep being radicals. I hope mm. that they don't get discouraged when this stuff becomes very bland and monopolized by corporations and social media and you know yeah, yeah. i will so. continue to take the wings free tampons though yeah every time i have a meeting there it was so great i had the first day of my period i was like this sucks i don't have anything yeah. i go to the bathroom and there's yes. like and i was like you know what i i'm very critical of it but i will take your free tampons yes. <laughs> lola brand is life yeah oh it felt so good i know yeah. i'm there with wow. you i'm always taking the free shit yeah good memory yeah all right, your bees. Um, I yeah, like a general frustration with uh, kind of going off what you were saying. Of, I do feel I feel like I am falling into that rut of discouragement mm. and just like pushing continuously, and that's part of the work. That's part of what we do, and mm-hmm. that's also other people do it a lot more than I do it. Um, but trying to of like what the work that we're doing and um, with Sour Peach and with other people in our community. This is what I said the other day is I'm exhausted of every space that I go into of feeling like I need to defend what it is I'm doing mm. or to explain what it is I'm doing yeah. or to explain or defend my friends, my community, the other people's work that I talk about. And I, I'm feeling exhausted from defense, from mm-hmm. defending, feeling like I've got to explain and defend. Yeah. yeah. Mm. But what's the alternative, right? Right. Obviously. That's the thing. Yeah. It's yeah. like the burden that queer people have to carry. Yeah. 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 Right. It's just yeah. annoying. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's good B. We feel you. Yeah. All right, Erica. <sighs> I think my B is um, women apologizing for eating. Yeah. <laughs> I yes. like was thinking Always about this. And forever. Oh my god! I, yeah. I was on a date once, and I remember it was like a really weird date. Um, 
She and I are cool, but like uh, I remember we, <laughs> but not dating, but not dating. Okay. She, we didn't make it past uh, date one. Um, but I remember I was like, "Want to order some appetizers?" And she was like, "Yeah." And then we ordered some like burrata and like a salad yes. and like you know whatever. <laughs> and then the food came, and she took one bite, and she goes, oh, "I'm sorry, I'm just like stuffing my face." And I was like, uh, "Hold up." One, you took one bite. Two, we're at dinner. Three, never apologize for eating again. And then I, after that, I was like, I, I just started to be uh, hyper aware of the women uh, yeah. or femme people in my life who were apologizing after every bite they took, pretty much. And, you know, it's like... <laughs> It's like, girl, just like eat your burger. Like, who cares? Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. you know, I'm just so sick of women feeling bad about what they put into their bodies. It's like, you know, Word. I just, you know. Yeah. I think we're trained. I, I don't know if you guys agree or not. We're trained to apologize for every calorie we consume. Yeah. Yeah. Um, can I offer a flip side of that experience? Please. I recently went out a few times, and then we'll move on to your guys' shit. We've taken way too long in this segment, but it's been really interesting. But I went out a few times with this girl who who never brought up the idea of eating. Like, the first couple of times, we would just have drinks. It was like, okay. And then we were going to meet at a time where, like, I was going to be hungry. I was coming from work, and I was like, are you going to want to eat? And she was like, no, I'll be good. And I was like, well, what, I is, won't. what does that mean? <laughs> she was like, well, I, w- I will have eaten earlier because I have a class, so I eat before the class. So I don't get hungry during the class. Da, da, da. I was like, well, can't you, like, modulate what you eat before that <laughs> class so that you can still be a little hungry later? And yeah. she was like, no, I can't do that. I was like, okay. So we didn't eat again and then she told me a few days later she was going to dinner with people and I was like are you going to eat dinner with them like you're going to order and she was like yeah and I was like okay so you are capable of planning things so that you can have food at a certain time you just aren't doing it when we hang out and then I realized that I I sounded obsessed with this but it really was bothering me it's like if I can't eat with somebody yeah we can't date what was her reasoning uh she dodged the question I don't know I don't I don't understand Maybe she was embarrassed about how she ate and it Maybe. wasn't like sexy for her. The last time we hung out, I ordered a three course meal and she only drank alcohol. What? Because <laughs> I was like, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm going to order food for myself. Good. Wait, that yeah. is so weird. Because yeah, sometimes, I mean, I've done it before where I've said I don't want to eat dinner because I want to get out faster just in case, but only if it's a first date. <laughs> You yeah, know no, what I mean? this like, was I don't an ongoing sit down to a dinner, and if I fucking hate you, then I sure. eat the whole oh, yeah. yeah, dinner on a first date. No, no, yeah, that's yeah. a big commitment. It's a no for that's me. why. Yeah. That's why I always or I try to do oysters on a first yes. date. I mean, not only is it my uh, go to move, but it's also <laughs> it's also one I love oysters, and two, Same. it's um, you can do it. You can do it quickly. Yeah, it doesn't take that long right, to suck right, it. Right. It's immediate because yeah. it's raw, and if. <laughs> A sound bite there. So much innuendo. Uh-huh. Yeah, and you get to see the potential of their uh, lip and, uh, and tongue, tongue abilities. <laughs> so it's perfect, and you get to show off yours. It's like, honestly, if, if it's you're an interactive, yes. yeah, if you're a queer femme and not sucking oysters with someone, you're yeah. doing it wrong. A hundred percent. Yeah. Agreed. <laughs> Agreed. That's probably my favorite B. Yeah, that's great. Of life. 
LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. All right. Um, so let's get into Sour Peach. <laughs> yes. Transition <laughs> straight into that. Uh, so I, I have a bunch of questions to ask you, but quickly first, can you give us a rundown of what you would describe as the mission statement of the company and the stuff that you guys were making? So Sour Peach was founded, uh, we've said this a couple of times, out of just like our mutual frustration with content that was available and what we were saying you know with like cruel intentions of like this wasn't for us it isn't for us but it is now ours we will take it Uh um because that's what's out there Uh and uh we were both working uh, we met on an ava duvernay pilot a couple years ago and uh kind of bonded over queer frustration queer femme frustration and decided to uh make a make work that expressed and showed uh, femme queer sexuality specifically we've come down more and more to like this femme sexuality as being you know something that we keep our subject matter our focus because it seems radical the more and more I do it as showing of of as we go around with our short film girl talk uh-huh. and people are just like very confused about where to place us and how to program us in a festival mm. and people are like have a lot of questions after seeing like or like very surprised when it's like queer femmes on screen being sexual or intimate with each other and not involving anyone else yeah Yeah. Yeah. and the fact that it was made by queer femme people um those were like i mean obviously we are and uh the primary uh crew members and department heads were mostly uh queer femme people or um queer people um or women um straight women some straight women I think one or two made it in <laughs> diversity um, hire yeah exactly yeah. 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 uh one or two straight men too. yeah and being yeah uh being actively not only in just like what we're depicting the stories that we're telling mm-hmm. but also in the way in which we're making it who we're bringing on yeah. who we're collaborating with being able to bring on co-writers and co-producers who fit into these other places within the world of queer feminists mm-hmm. um, that we don't fit mm-hmm. um, or we don't express those um, particular narratives. Right. Got it. So in that case, you'll produce it. But then for other stuff, you'll write and direct and produce it, correct? Yeah, I mean, I think we, um, you know, there's some projects that we, like, you know, with Girl Talk, like I wrote and directed and Chelsea produced it. And then there's some projects that we just come on as producers. Mm. Um, like we did this short film for PBS um, uh, that w- was directed by our friend Carlos Valdivia. And that was about a um, Latinx gay man. So, you know, we came on board to support that project and mm. to produce it. Obviously, we are not uh, <laughs> Latin, gay men. <laughs> Latin gay men, but, you know, it definitely kind of fit within our mission statement. Uh-huh. So we'll do stuff like that as well. Right. Um, so we've been trying to work our way through defining, if you can define what certain kinds of gazes mean in terms of if you have someone of that identity writing and directing and mm. shooting and producing how that translates aside from the subject matter itself. Mm -hmm. So aside from saying, well, it's a story about a queer woman, for example, what 
how do you think we could see the effect of having queer women producers, writers, directors? Well, it's all about authenticity. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. I think that I don't think there's steadfast rules necessarily. I think that a cis man could direct a scene with two women having sex with each other with like dignity and poignancy. Like I think that uh, the movie Carol, what Todd Haynes did with the scene between Rooney Mara and Kate Blanchett when they first have sex is perfect for the story and for the characters. And it's contextually sound. Mm -hmm. But I think that in the majority of cases, when you take away uh, the main, so it's like, okay, the director is like the main creative force behind a film. And if you take away the main creative force uh that can tell the story with as most authenticity as possible, uh-huh. then you're creating a cognitive dissonance that someone will have to necessarily just like kind of like guess mm. or, you know, fantasize mm-hmm. about what happens between like two women. So, and then you get something like blue is the warmest color, right. which is, you know, <laughs> which is, like which an I've extent- heard you talk about on another podcast. <laughs> yeah. And you very eloquently pinpointed the problem with the way that he directed that scene. Yeah. Thank Which you. had to do with what he did with the camera, basically. Yeah, I mean, I think that what, uh, for those who have not seen it, um, <laughs> there's the first scene. So Adele is 15 in the movie, and she has sex with um, Leia Sado's character, uh, who has blue hair, and she's much older, and not much older, but she's like a college student. And um, the majority of the film is shot in close-ups, and you're in Adele's mind. You're with her the entire time. And then when you get to the sex scene, you are it's a wide shot, it's far away, it's on display, you're not in her head. And they're also having sex that's like pretty extreme. Mm. Um, not to say that women can't have sex that way. I think you are it's totally physically possible and many people can get off to it. Mm-hmm. But uh, it doesn't fit within the context of the story because she's 15 and losing her lesbian virginity. I don't think she would be doing like reverse cowgirl grinding. Yeah. <laughs> like maybe. Yeah. I mean, but I just think that's like unlikely. Uh-huh. So you lose what you lose is her journey. And that's what feeds into the exploitation um, right. and the lack of authenticity. Yeah. Yeah. I just wonder if um, there's a way that we could define the queer female gaze. I mean, and this is maybe being a little gimmicky to try to define it this way, but I'm just thinking like, what does that mean? Like, let's say Todd Haynes was studying a queer woman director and was able to apply something that he noticed that she was doing to when he shoots at CNN Carol. Cause like, I don't know. I feel like I've noticed in things that are created by queer women uh, or had input by them that there's a little bit more attention to like things that are unspoken mm. to like very small gestures um, yeah. to like very kind of casual touches that carry a lot of feeling for somebody. Yeah. I think those are the things that I, I think I associate them with queer women in general being mm-hmm. very attuned to that kind of mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. And that is often very much what is happening between two people before and while they're having sex also, right? And yeah. so when I see that in a sex scene, that feels like maybe something that is inherently queer and female to me. Yeah. Trying well, to work out a theory there. I think the details is exactly right. I uh-huh. mean, a lot of people watch Girl Talk and they come up to us and they are struck by yeah. uh, the attention to consent. And it's funny because, like, we've yes, talked yes. about this a lot. Yeah, like, I when I wrote, like, the first draft of the script, it definitely didn't carry the same kind of 
consensual weight to it. Mm. It's not that it was unconsensual or non-consensual. It was, um, it just didn't have the same kind of like details. But then with workshopping the script with Chelsea, you know, it became apparent that this was integral to the story. Right. And, um, you know, there's, and it doesn't take away from the narrative. It actually adds to the narrative and it's something that has should be seen and it's like people it makes it more intimate yeah it adds a level of intimacy Mm -hmm. to it Mm -hmm. it adds level of intimacy and authenticity like authenticity yeah because you know in like you know this story is based on some of my uh sexual experiences and some of people from our communities and you know that was all there Mm -hmm. you know those kind of aspects of touch and permission and talking about it beforehand yeah Yeah. I mean I think um I've heard Jill Soloway talk with talk about how we don't usually see consent in movies and in sex scenes that's something Mm -hmm. that's missing and then I heard Maggie Gyllenhaal um on a podcast or radio show or something uh recently talking about when she made Secretary and there was a scene in Secretary when her character like very subtly touched James Spader's wrist and they kept doing different takes of the scene and she noticed after a while because they were getting coverage she noticed that the camera actually wasn't catching that at all it was off Mm. camera and she got very concerned because to her that very small gesture meant consent by her character to what they were doing Mm -hmm. and you know this was her first big role and she didn't have the confidence to say anything but at some point she actually told James Spader and he went and told them like you guys need to catch this on camera this gesture is very important to her and then they did yeah Alana damn yes I don't know part part of me just now was like it sucks that she had to go ask the dude to ask I know her but I I understand when you're in in a position where it's like your first big movie and you don't want to upset anyone but yeah right and it was like 2004 yeah yeah you don't even know how to start that conversation exactly totally yeah yeah agreed though attention to detail is what sets everything apart because it's very hard for me to watch a sex scene that's clearly directed by someone who doesn't understand queer female sex Mm -hmm. um, and feel disconnected immediately because it's like uh, you just don't get it you know from the tiniest Mm -hmm. little things like a hand or an eye contact or something Mm -hmm. it 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 changes the whole game so it's really like I don't know whoever you're directing for the audience that you're directing for like for example in the movie i never saw the movie that you were talking about about the adele the 15 blue is the warmest color color. i never i've never seen it what i know i know this is weirder than when you said you never heard Uh, ani defranco i know i'm a terrible gay um but it's like who was he directing for right did he give a shit it's not like he really needed to prove a point with that scene it was just people you want to do it's like porn well Oh, sorry, I didn't no, mean to no, interrupt no, you. Well, it's, you know, it's funny because thinking about that movie, it's like he was seeking validation from an audience that's outside of like queer femme people yeah. because we're not seen as like the kind of markers of critical success. Yeah. So it didn't matter what we felt because that movie won uh, the Pomodoro can. So it's like... It wasn't for us in the first place. Yeah, exactly. So it's, it, he was shooting... Uh, believability for a different audience. Right. Yeah. For an audience that has no concept of what queer femme sexuality yeah. is or mm-hmm. looks like or cares. Yeah. Right. They just don't. Yeah. It wasn't. And then to them, that's what it is. After. Right. It's a using, and this is what a lot of, well, this is, you know, the opposite of like female gaze is like using queer stories for other people's good feelings or yeah. for right. viewership and like for awards and you know this is like a bee in my bonnet yeah. is like mm-hmm. if I see another like 
straight person using queer stories for like queer stories of pain or suffering um, or discomfort for award bait or for any sort of like accolades. I'm yeah. I'm just like I'm ready to burst mm-hmm. open. Yeah. Um it's been that's been one of the like most frustrating things going around is like seeing all this wonderful art that's being put out into festivals by independent filmmakers and then also at the same time seeing people who are slipping in and telling stories and it's right. like okay this was about a club shoot mass club shooting. Yeah. And we're going to see another one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, exactly. this is another painful coming out story and it's the limitations. I think it's also the exciting part about when you're trying to describe and nail down what the female gaze is, is that we're we don't really have a lot of examples of it. Mm-hmm. Right. And yeah. so the exciting part to, to think about is as we bec- as we hopefully push and fight to have more uh, examples of that and to see more scenes of like female sexuality from that perspective, mm-hmm. then it broadens because we have more examples. We have more variety because. It's not a soft. It's not necessarily like people are like. Oh, it's like soft and tender as like a female gaze, and it's yeah. like. But you look at like the bisexual, and there's a lot of scenes in there, like sexual scenes, where it's like boring or messy or dirty mm-hmm. or just yeah. kind of sloppy yeah. or right. disconnected. You know, you can have all of those that richness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's so true that there's in most art, it's from the male gaze, and you know, f- film aside, like there's just not examples of it. So there is this kind of flexibility and this openness that, you know, and part of our work in Sour Peach is furthering queer narratives and kind of, you know, stripping it from this like false dichotomy of either a coming out story or, you know, a taboo relationship because or, you know, queer suffering because so much of queer stories have kind of, you know, been in those places. Mm -hmm. And it's not to say that those aren't valid stories, but you know they're not the only stories they're not the only stories and yeah and I think that's part of our mission as a production company is to really kind of open people's eyes to the you know nuance diversify and normalize on main screen yeah yeah I think it's a system of control is to support only those stories Mm -hmm. It's it's a controlling of our narrative it's a controlling of any sort of um public expression of where we are and what our lives are on a daily basis um we're not allowed to have that we're not allowed to live on screen in any other way Mm -hmm. we're either like support of another person's growth yeah we're you know and this applies to lots of different other people's stories Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um yeah we were just talking about this from the trans uh perspective with ashley last week too Right. Yeah. yeah. Trans characters always have to be tragic. Yeah. Or yeah. their defining or characteristic is their transness and nothing else interesting about them. Right. One hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. It's the same way that like a lot of um, the kind of films that have majority black characters are usually like that have been like a successful in the award season has mm-hmm. been, uh, you know, either they're mm-hmm. slaves or, you know, uh, being rescued by yeah. white men, like, yes. you know, to bring up. Green Book, which I did not see at a principal, and yeah. I refuse I to see it. I haven't seen it, but I'll still shit talk it on my Same. own podcast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's from like literally the stupidest perspective. Yeah, that, that is like the stupid gaze. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. exactly. But, you know, uh, it also becomes a self fulfilling prophecy if you're only ever telling these really depressing stories about queer people. Why would straight audiences want to see that? I mean, if it was only depressing stories about straight characters, I wouldn't go to see those either. I would be like, no, that's very niche and not for me you know yeah so then we say like well straight audiences aren't interesting in seeing these stories like 
Well, because they're not told at like a real human level that is relatable to anybody. And that's how queer people are taught to straight people. Yeah. That's how we learn about queer people. We learn about queer people through struggle, Mm -hmm. through pain, through Mm -hmm. suffering, through disenfranchisement. We are very rarely introduced to queer people in our lives that is in a positive light. And I want to give... I have like a couple examples of my life where I remember in fourth grade, it was like we had a student who had two moms and the teacher did something profound, which is she had a roundtable discussion and basically was like, Chris has two moms and it's totally okay. And his moms are like everyone else. And I remember being like, why are we like interrupting class to do this? But Mm -hmm. then I was like, thank God we did this because it was one of the few examples where queerness was introduced as Mm -hmm. something normal and something we can talk about and ask questions about and in a classroom setting. And it's so that was such a privilege I had. And most of our introductions to queer people is through either the lens of HIV and AIDS or, um, you know, Matthew Shepard and hate crimes. Right. Yeah. Yep. Um, I'm wondering to myself. So I was thinking like the queer female gaze, like if you're directing a, a sex scene that way. It, that really just should be the female gaze in the sense that, like, if you're doing it real, then that should be, like, um, a realistic depiction, emotionally realistic, that anyone can relate to. And I'm wondering if – I'm not articulating as well, but my, I'm getting to this question. I see, uh, <laughs> I see it. We're well, rooting for you. Thank you. <laughs> um, so, okay, for example, that sex scene in blue is the warmest color. Uh I'm wondering if straight men would enjoy watching that scene more the way that it is now or if a queer woman had directed it and if it was, you know, done correctly. I think it depends on the straight man. I was yeah. say, I feel like it's straight I'm men are so easy to I'm wondering if they also would like respond all. better to that being directed correctly correctly in the sense like if it would benefit any audience member male or female gay or straight yeah i mean i think more authentic stories i mean obviously if like someone other than peter farley had directed green book it probably all (laughs) maybe but no right could have benefited a lot of us to actually have been told this story yeah um but yeah, I think you just telling things more authentically makes for hopefully like more enjoyable. I don't know. Yeah. Better and good is a hard like. I just think there's more to connect to there. I mean, yeah. maybe a, a straight man will get off a little bit watching that sex scene, even if it's filmed as if it's a fucking GoPro in the corner, which it kind <laughs> of was. But he's not emotionally connecting to it because the director isn't giving you a way to do that. Whereas yeah. there's another way to shoot it where even a straight dude can connect to it both physically and emotionally yeah. therefore get more out of it well how would and maybe this is a dumb question but how would a straight man why would a straight man want to emotionally connect with that type of scene because it's just human beings well i think that your question speaks to the intentionality of this what the intentionality of the scene should have been mm. so it's like you are in the story within the narrative this is the first time she's this, this is her first love so they're showing a sex scene where someone is fall when there are two people who are so hungry for each other mm-hmm. and it's like their sexual attention is so palpable and they're falling in love. So what you should feel from the scene is not necessarily, yeah, like being turned on could be like a secondary kind mm-hmm. of uh, ramification of the scene. But mm-hmm. the intention should have been 
these are two people you were watching our main character fall in love and be enraptured by this person and if you the main thing that I think what you're talking about is that what we're assuming is that most you know a lot of straight men would watch this and be like turned on because Mm -hmm. it was shot pornographically Mm -hmm. and then that speaks to the failed the failure of the director yeah right because the failure here is that the big takeaway from it is the descent of either it's like really hot and turns you on or it's like uh, unbelievable or mm-hmm. it's exploitative and yeah. really this should have been a moment where you feel her be enraptured and falling in love right so I think it's like yeah thank you yeah yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah Ooh, cut through the weeds yeah <laughs> no, but you know I, a straight I, man yeah. to be able to emotionally connect to any movie or any scene that's supposed to be emotional well and whether it's mother and daughter or whatever. yeah and actually a lot of you know not that and I always say this not that I need the validation of straight men because mm. like fuck that right. but a lot of people after they watch Girl Talk have come up to both of us and a lot of straight men have mm-hmm. come up and been like, I really connected to this. Mm-hmm. Because at the end of the day, we're dealing with universal themes. We're right. dealing with universal themes of loneliness and isolation and the longing for intimacy. But we're telling it within a queer femme world. Mm. But it doesn't mean that other people can't relate to it. Yeah. And that's what's really powerful about under, and it really comes back to like just filmmaking techniques. It's like understanding what your movie's about and what it, every scene is about. Mm-hmm. And if you understand that as a director, then you can make anyone feel anything. Right. And you should be able to, like anyone who doesn't yeah. know anything about your world should be able to connect to it. Yeah, that's a great point. Totally. Yeah. Um, this is kind of an aside, but <laughs> a friend of ours uh, reposted something on Instagram yesterday that I thought was perfect. And it's just a little quote I want to oh, share. Shit, I didn't see it. Tell me. <laughs> Shaniqua posted it. Yeah. She said, if your vagina doesn't have a heartbeat when you see them, they ain't the one. And I thought it was so perfect, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So I think that's something we should keep in mind when we're directing sex scenes. Vagina heartbeats? Yeah. Make Mm. those vaginas pitter patter. (laughs) But it actually is a physical, (laughs) it's a physical thing. Yeah. 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 Anyway, if you don't know what we're talking about, ask (laughs) ask someone with a vagina. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> okay, so Girl Talk is a short film that is in what stage? Is it doing festival circuits? Yeah, okay, floating okay. around so people can potentially see it on a big screen. Yeah, we yep. um, uh, we are screening around the world. Um, we Great. post nice. on our Instagram of where it's screening. We're gonna do a big update <laughs> like this for in the next couple weeks. Okay, cool. it's been it's been doing a lot of plays in Europe, but it will come back to the United States. Awesome. And what what else is in the pipeline for you guys? We uh, I am uh, I'm in post for a feature documentary um, about the award winning Brooklyn based drag and burlesque collective Switch and Play. Okay. Yeah. um, We have been working on this film for about two years now, a year and a half, two years. And we are in post. We're coloring. We're composing music um, and then getting ready to submit to um, festivals and start that round, which is very exciting. Um, And then we are in addition to that, we are well, our film that we were that Erica mentioned earlier that we produced this short film um, just premiered at Outfest Fusion this past weekend. So that's starting. It's uh, it had its world premiere. So that's starting. It's. uh, festival tour. Nice. And then we are um, developing a feature. Um, do you want to talk about? Yeah, we're Dusty. De- we're developing a feature called Dusty, which mm-hmm. is about a um, 
fat femme pansexual burlesque dancer who is uh, reclaiming her kind of sexual and artistic narratives in a society that uh, fails to you know ex- kind of accept who she is yeah. and she's like defining her own uh, path and her own narrative and her own authentic voice um, so we are in the long stretch of developing <laughs> yeah. uh, it takes you know as anyone knows like making an independent film takes years like you know Chelsea talking about yeah. switch and play uh, that's taking years and like you know a narrative feature you have to raise even more money so we're in the early stages we're shooting a promo for it next week and a little mood piece yeah like a mood piece like sizzle um, proof of concept cool. and we're also working with a n- fabulous producer named Jackie who is incredible and Christina Pitter um, is you know co-creating and uh, starring in it and she's wow. a amazing actor and uh, burlesque dancer um is the script finished yeah we have um a draft of the script okay. and we're workshopping the script and basically we're spending this year doing fellowships and grants and incubator programs and yeah. hope to make it sometime in like 2020 2021 um damn what? no downtime for you guys no, no. Ever. <laughs> and we both worked full-time jobs yeah, yeah. i was gonna Holy ask I'm, I'm very much in the spirit of financial transparency these days yeah. because it's becoming obvious yeah. that oh. we don't talk about yeah. it so we all always feel like shit when we're hustling and mm. poor yes yeah so I yeah. feel like having a whole conversation about that, about everyone's hustle. I think that's yes. a great yes. Yes. podcast. Yeah, we work full-time jobs. I work um, as an art department coordinator um, for film and mostly TV um, okay. here and around New Jersey, New York, Brooklyn area. Cool. Do you find that that feeds your work? Financially, it feeds. Financially, <laughs> yeah. yeah. My paycheck goes into my other projects, yeah. goes yeah. directly Word. into Sour Peach, um, and rent. That's about it. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, no, it's been a great thing. Our department, uh, I've never intended to be in, but I always keep getting great opportunities. It's mm. always been a great spot for me. Yeah. Um, I'm in the A29, which is the Scenic Artists Union in New cool. York. It's great. Um, such a great supportive group of people who are doing, you know so much work that we see and um new york should keep our tax incentives yes um but yeah so i think that it puts me in a space like i am in and around like i'm on a call sheet and Mm -hmm. there are things of being in a production office but at the same time it's not it is a very financial creative position i might i describe it always as like it's like the accounting department for the art department yeah right like I'm definitely yeah. like p cards and receipts and yeah, check yeah, requests yeah. and yeah. trucking and it's like a lot of groundwork all the yep. sexy stuff all yeah. the really oh, yeah, yeah picking yeah. the cup no yeah, none yeah, of yeah. the stuff creative but, adjacent yeah. yeah but I mean I have like it's been a great it gives me an interesting perspective as a producer because I have vendors that are you know I know how to I know the vendors that are like construction and scenic right. Right. and mm-hmm. stage builds yeah, you're and making all that those kind of budgeting yeah. Yeah. yeah so you take what you can I, or I've been able to like I work hard on like trying to get what I and remind myself that this is beneficial but yeah. it definitely is a drag when you're not like in doing the thing that you specifically want to even though yeah. I'm so close yeah. like but, I'm in there right yeah. but I feel like I could be on I could be back working in my restaurant job and totally I know be just as day. close but at least you're not stressing about wondering where that next paycheck is coming from mm-hmm. 100% not yeah. so then when you're not working you can focus on your creative shit yes mm-hmm. yeah Erica, what's your what's um, your day job <laughs> I've been producing and production managing documentaries for the past like three years Damn. Wow, yeah okay. so, so you're in the world yeah. yeah no I mean I'm very grateful I've 
done like I did a Netflix docs doc okay I did a Netflix <laughs> documentary I just wrapped a Showtime series and now I'm starting an HBO pilot that's um, amazing yeah so it's been pretty cool um I definitely kind of similar to what Chelsea uh is saying like it's definitely beneficial in the sense that you're in this space I've definitely you know in terms of like just networking alone yeah. mm-hmm. um it's been incredibly beneficial and just like meeting crew members and you know, and making money so that we can support yeah. our personal work. And I think that what you find is that there's two kinds, two types of people in the film industry. There's the type of people like us who mm-hmm. have their own hustle going mm-hmm. on. Mm-hmm. And then there's just the people who show up, get their paycheck, go home, yep. go and do extracurricular activities outside yeah, of Watch film. The Bachelor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so there's really two types of people. And I think especially in New York, there's so many people like us yeah. who are – you know, working these full-time jobs, but also, you know, directing a short film here and mm-hmm. there or working on a feature. So it's, you have this incredible community around you who like understands. And I've been very lucky that almost all of my work colleagues in these like documentary like shows, they understand. I'm like, hey, I'm like also a filmmaker. And they're like, you go and yeah. do your stuff. And yeah, they yeah, let yeah. me like travel to festivals and whatever, because like That's that great. was them too. Yeah. 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 Nice. It's a grind. But you have to keep doing what you're doing because it's so necessary. The space needs to be filled. We need more of what you're doing. Yeah, so. but you can only do it if it feels necessary to you. You can't fake it because it's no, too absolutely. fucking hard. Otherwise, yeah. it's too hard. I mean, you're talking yeah. about you're going to be trying to fundraise for a feature film. Yeah. Like, I mean, my creative partner and I are, are considering mm. that too, and we're kind of weighing things because it's like, how much do we want to commit ourselves mm. to maybe like five years of trying to get that fucking thing off the ground? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, crowdfunding for Girl Talk. I was like, I don't want to do it. <laughs> yeah. Neither of us wanted to do we, it. Yeah, yeah, it's it is a it is a full time job on its own, and then so you have like your compartmentalized full time jobs. Yeah, <laughs> no. and you're like, which full time job am I currently in the headspace yeah, for yeah, right. in this nanosecond? <laughs> yeah, yeah, but at the same time, I couldn't be doing anything else, and uh, I you know am incredibly grateful that I am at this point in my life and career that I get to be here. Yeah. yeah. And we're gaining traction. Like people know who yeah. our work, they know who we are. We're getting like good pub- publicity and press and like the festival circuit knows our names. And, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm confident and opt- cautiously optimistic. <laughs> <Always>. that, <laughs> yeah. That like, I don't know. I think we're doing the steps it takes and it's a long haul, but like, I agree. It's like, what else are we going to do? Right. <laughs> like, this is like what we like live, for so. yeah yeah for and those few moments on set yeah yeah there exactly. you go <laughs> okay before we wrap up would you do a quick round of our hot takes wheel with us yes. in which alana is oh. going to hold this wheel for one of you to spin <laughs> really hard it's gonna yeah. land on a topic and we're all gonna go around and give a hot take it is by definition a hot take meaning don't be afraid of it not being a perfect take exactly and completely defensible exactly it might not be chelsea i'll let you do the honors all right here we go that was not hard <laughs> it was i was it's afraid of people could hear it it's like okay should i read it or spin again wait did we like what it said could you date a non-creative oh yeah i like that one. oh yeah, it's a great one. Do you yeah. Like that yeah. one yeah okay let's do that go ahead um i have never um <laughs> have you ever so you've never even tried I've never even tried because I don't think I'm attracted to anyone that's yeah. a non-creative mm-hmm. um, now that I'm thinking about it. Yeah, I think 
creative and they've all been different types of creatives uh-huh. with like photographers and musicians and um my current partner is the director and an editor um so yeah but i think that ultimately i could but i just yeah i'm not opposed to it i just don't think i physically or you know <laughs> yeah. sexually could be yeah. attracted to <laughs> yeah that's probably a hard pass for you then okay yeah erica um i've tried <laughs> yeah uh, and ugh, it was so boring. Yeah, yeah, I mean, like, there's nothing better to, you know, you are, like, on a date eating oysters and talking about <laughs> creative references and thinking about each other naked. Like, <laughs> you know, like, um, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm still looking for my uh, artist per- lady, so. Whoever's listening. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, I am. Where uh, you at? Pretty <laughs> single right now, so. Uh, all you but, creative types. Yeah, all you creative types. Slide in our DMs. Yeah. You, please we'll hook you up. feel free. To, yeah. There you go. It's not a desperate plea at all. No. no, 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 no it's she's just trying to take you guys out for some casual. oysters. Yeah, if yeah. anyone wants to go and grab some oysters and Maison talk about. Maison Premiere. Mm, I'm, you know, I'm not a North Brooklyn person. I like, it, uh, gotcha. you know, I like Greenpoint, but I just don't like Williamsburg, but yeah, I like yeah. Maison Premiere. Delicious but if you want to grab oysters with me in South Brooklyn <laughs> and talk about references, I'm, you know, open to it. So <laughs> you heard it here. Noted. First. Yeah. yeah. Um, I agree with you guys. I definitely could not date. I have I've dated across the spectrum in terms of creative and non-creative. And yes, I've been absolutely bored by those who don't understand my need to like just talk about music and the notes and the way that you're feeling. And blah, blah, blah. But everyone's like, you're fucking crazy. And you're like a hippie. I've always been people say like creatives are hippies. Right. And they're like, oh, you just like aren't realists is what I've heard a lot about mm-hmm. people who aren't creative. So. Um, yeah, I could never in a million years. I feel like your brain is programmed entirely different and you just don't see life the way that 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 I do if you're not yeah. a creative. Yeah. So it's a no for me. Okay. Dog, in the words of Randy Jackson. Very mm-hmm. nice. What about you? Uh, I like the idea of it. I think the opposites attract and yin yang and all that stuff sounds really fun. Mm. Uh, I've kind of accidentally dated three lawyers in the last couple of years and Damn. it's been the same experience with all of them, which is mm. not good. <laughs> I think they're very, um, amused by me and think what yeah. I do mm-hmm. is very like cute, cute. and weird yeah. and interesting. Yeah. And so I'm like this toy that they pick up off the shelf and they look at it and they're like, this is funny, but then yeah. they don't actually want to buy it. Yeah. Um, we're also broke. <laughs> Yeah, so. yeah. There's a class thing that always happens with them, yeah. Um, yeah. and I, you know, lawyers are very witty, so I get off on the conversation for a while, even though we're not really talking about the same things ever. Mm. But I'm like, I'm, I can make this work, maybe. And then at a certain point, I'm like, yeah, you have a really bad value system. I think you only are doing your job because you make a lot of money, but you don't have any time to spend it. Yeah. Um. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Bye. No. Yeah, so that's four no's, I think. Yeah, I think that was an obvious. Yeah. Okay. I think it's also good, like, on like as a side thing is like to date a creative that's not the same creative as you yes. are yes. is Absolutely. the key. Absolutely. Because I could not date someone else who does exactly what I do. Oh my God. And it's like finding that like, oh, like you're a director, I'm a producer, you're an editor, I'm a right. musician. Like mm-hmm. you have, you understand the world, yeah, yeah. And you, but you can also appreciate what the other person is good at without feeling like competition yeah. or exactly. challenge. Exactly, yes. exactly. Except Part I, of, yeah. oh, oh, I was just saying I've dated uh, so many actors <laughs> I, I you know I love them and you know I think that 
it's I was like maybe I need to stop <laughs> it's like nah. you know but they're just so dreamy like, <laughs> yeah I, I can't help it I see that I see the appeal so going back to what we said earlier only if you're an actor please slide in our DMs <laughs> oh, for this or, or, or not or if you were not an actor as your friend I'll like yeah balance I'm, you out there I, I think there actors go. writers musicians yeah if you're power bottom <laughs> pillow princess. Definitely not a pillow princess. <laughs> Maybe like a reformed pillow princess. Yeah. Then oh, hit yeah. Me a good switch, perhaps. No. no. Okay, it's a no. It's a <laughs> no. There's some fine line there. <laughs> yeah, fine line. <laughs> Looked at me dead in the eye. She was like, no. No. But, yeah. <laughs> All right, well. Okay, good consensus. Here yeah. we go. Uh, okay, so where can people find all your stuff? Give them uh, the plug. Social media. Social website. media, Instagram, Twitter, our email, our website. It's all Sour Peach Films um, at or dot com. And uh, I'm at Chelsea Allison Moore, which you can just find me from Sour Peach as well. Yeah. And you can find me on Sour Peach, but I'm at your 360. Boom. Boom. And where can you find us? <laughs> At Female Gaze Pod on Instagram and Twitter. Um, and if you guys, uh, what am I saying? My brain just, my brain just died. We're recording and, uh, later in the evening. You need, we are rough. recording. It's very late. If you need to find Chelsea or Erica uh, individually, we'll link to them in addition to Sour Peach oh. on our social media. So that way you can click on the handle and there you'll be. Yay. Send us more hot takes for next week, guys. Yes, we'll add them to the wheel. And until then... Bye. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.